This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Welcome to the ministry of the Christian Crusaders. When we become a Christian, we are a member of the family of God. Jesus instructs us to look out for each other's spiritual welfare. This is a huge task because Christians are both sinners and saints. How can we possibly do what Jesus is asking of us? Let's learn more in our message, How to Do Life Together. How are followers of Jesus Christ to do life together in his church? Well, Jesus has some important words of instruction for us today on doing life together. I hope you'll stay with us. We begin in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. Almighty God and Father, we approach you today with gratitude for the grace and love that you've poured out on this broken world of ours through your Son, Jesus. We humbly ask that you would reveal your will for our lives so that we might live with you and for you forever. Amen. Our reading for today is taken from Luke chapter 17, beginning at verse 1. Jesus said to his disciples, Occasions for stumbling are bound to come, but woe to anyone by whom they come. It would be better for you if a millstone were hung around your neck and you were thrown into the sea than for you to cause one of these little ones to stumble. Be on your guard. If another disciple sins, you must rebuke the offender, and if there is repentance, you must forgive. And if the same person sins against you seven times a day and turns back to you seven times and says, I repent, you must forgive. The apostles said to the Lord, Increase our faith. The Lord replied, If you had faith the size of a mustard seed, you would say to the mulberry tree, Be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Who among you would say to your slave, who has just come in from plowing or tending sheep in the field, Come here at once and take your place at the table. Would you not rather say to him, Prepare supper for me, put on your apron, and serve me while I eat and drink, and later you may eat and drink? Do you thank the slave for doing what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were ordered to do, say, We are worthless slaves. We have done only what we ought to have done. A missionary working among children in the Middle East was driving her Jeep down a road when she ran out of gas. She had no gas can in her car. All she could find was a potty chair. She walked a mile down the road to the nearest gas station and filled the potty chair with gas. As she was pouring the gas into the tank of her Jeep, a large Cadillac occupied by wealthy oil sheiks drew up to her. They were absolutely fascinated at seeing her pouring the contents of the pot into the Jeep. One of them opened the window and said, My friend and I, although we don't share your religion, we greatly admire your faith. <laughs> we talk about faith amongst ourselves sometimes. Keep the faith. Have a little faith. Today we see the disciples of Jesus asking, increase our faith. I can identify with that plea, can't you? Increase my faith, Lord. 
we sometimes find ourselves wishing we had more faith, a, a bigger faith. For instance, when it comes to witnessing, being bold for Christ in public, the thought of sharing one's faith with someone else can be seen by many people as a daunting task. And so we pray, Lord, increase my faith, then I can do it. Or when it comes to taking on a big project, when my congregation years ago was making the decision to buy some land and relocate our church, it felt like a big leap of faith for us. And I remember as the pastor of that group, I felt exhilarated but overwhelmed by the challenge and responsibility of it all. And I prayed, I believe you want this, Lord, but it's so big to consider. Increase my faith. And speaking of big projects, some of us have brought children into this world and taken on the responsibility of raising them up to trust and serve Jesus Christ. Some days in our concern for them and knowing the kind of world we're sending them into each day, we might find ourselves praying, Lord, increase my faith. So th there are a host of big things that might cause us to join those first disciples in requesting, Lord, increase our faith. That's what inspired this plea from the disciples, a big project. Jesus has just given them some instructions about how to live together as his people in the church. Overall, he teaches them uh, that we are to be responsible for one another. We are to take care of each other's spiritual welfare. The age-old question, am I my brother's keeper, is affirmed here by Jesus. You see, the truth is no one follows Jesus alone. When we say yes to Christ, we are thrust into a family not of our own choosing, but the family of God. And that is not always an easy task to live with because each follower of Jesus is a saint and a sinner. Truth is, we can really bug and irritate and even hurt each other. Yet, Jesus tells us today that we're accountable. We have a responsibility to each other, that we're in this together. So what does that look like? Well, in this first section of the passage, we learn that followers of Jesus don't cause other followers of Jesus to stumble in their faith, to fall away from believing. He says, occasions for stumbling are bound to come, but woe to anyone by whom they come. This is a serious warning from Jesus He's basically saying, listen, there are enough things out there to trip a person up in their faith walk. Don't you add to the list. We need to be careful to renew and not wreck the faith of others. In fact, Jesus goes on to say, it would be better for you to have a millstone hung around your neck and to be thrown into the sea than facing God's judgment for this sort of thing. We can do that sort of thing in a variety of ways. You know, uh, teaching false doctrine, encouraging bad behavior in others, either with our words or with our poor example. Pastors certainly need to take this statement to heart. We're given charge of guiding, growing, and guarding the sheep in our own congregation's flock. 
Don't let your flock be biblically starved and biblically illiterate. Nurture them in the one true faith. Feed them faithfully the gospel again and again and again. Confront them when they need to be confronted. Jesus says, be on your guard. Heads up. Why do you suppose he says that? I'm reminded of what Peter said. Because Satan is prowling around like a roaring lion seeking to devour, to mess things up in your congregation. Jesus also adds to this lesson that sometimes a rebuke to one another is absolutely necessary. He says, if another disciple sins, you must rebuke the offender, correct them. And if there is repentance, you must forgive. Sometimes a person needs to hear, you know, what you're doing is hurting me. Or your words and actions have offended me. Or you're headed towards disaster with your disobedience to God's word. We are responsible to sometimes rattle one another's cages. But we always do that rattling in love, in hopes of restoring and helping the individual follower of Christ. It's been said that a genuine rebuke is a noble communication. Its intention is to free a person for growth and effectiveness by speaking the truth in love. Sometimes we really need people to speak the truth in love into our lives. And we need to speak it to others as well. Then Jesus goes on to say, And if there is repentance, you must forgive. As he has forgiven you and me, you are to forgive the offending party if there is repentance. In other words, penitence, a a contrition, a, a, a turnaround from what they've been doing. Don't continue to hold their sin over their heads, but forgive them. Someone uh, once uh, said, I can forgive, but I cannot forget. And, And that's only another way of saying, I will not forgive. Forgiveness ought to be like a canceled note, torn in two and burned up so that it can never be shown against one. It's a little story about a guy sitting with his friend at the bar and He's lamenting about his marriage. He says, you know, I just hate it when we get into a fight. My wife gets so historical. His friend said, you mean hysterical, don't you? No, historical. She drags out every bad thing I've ever done and reminds me of it. That's not what Jesus is wanting from us. And he goes on to say then, Forgive, even if it's not a one-time deal from this person. If this person sins against you again and again and again and turns back to you and says, I repent, you must forgive him or her. That sounds hard, doesn't it? I mean, I like to set limits on how much I'll take off of someone, don't you? Uh, To... To say to a person who has offended me, enough, as far as I'm concerned, we're done. I wash my hands of you. You see, when you forgive someone, you're giving up your right to take advantage of the situation and hold it over their heads, and you're giving up your right to get even. 
As kingdom people, we are to humbly share the forgiveness God has given us in Jesus Christ. And the disciples are thinking themselves, you know, Jesus, this sounds really hard and is going to require a lot more faith than we have. So they request, increase our faith. And Jesus responds with some reassuring words to them. He says, if you had faith the size of a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it would obey you. What's he doing there when he says that? What's he saying? He's teaching his followers with figurative language about the power of faith in God, no matter how big or small your faith is. Because what matters in faith is not the size of your faith, but the object of our faith. And that's God who can do anything he wants. Amen? I mean, God is all-powerful. When we're connected to serving him and carrying out his will for us, there is his power. I can't help but be reminded of favorite Old Testament stories that that remind us of this truth. Abraham, he learned how to trust God, to have faith. He learned that God would take care of Abraham and Sarah and that he'd give them a baby boy, though they both laughed at the thought because they were so old. But they had Isaac and Moses. God told Moses, lead the people out of slavery in Egypt. And, And Moses shrugged his shoulders and said, me? I can't even speak well. But look what God did through Moses. He set his people free. What about Gideon? He must have said, me? Drive those Midianites out of our land? Impossible. They're a major, huge power, and I'm the least of a smallest tribe of Israel. But God used Gideon to drive the Midianites out. So as we respond to this tall order from Jesus ourselves, saying, Take care of my brother or sister's spiritual welfare. Uh, Rebuke them. Forgive them again and again. I don't know if I can do that. And Jesus says, oh, yes, you can. Yes, you can. With God's power and help working in you and through you. Jesus finishes off this teaching session with his disciples in a most interesting way. He talks about the attitude of being an obedient disciple he moves from you can do these things to in what spirit will you do these things carry out these orders I've given you he uses an everyday example of a servant and master relationship he he asks them suppose you're a master over a slave would you as a master serve dinner to your servant after they've done a day of work out in the field? No. You'd say, serve me my meal first, and then you can eat. And do you thank the slave for doing what was commanded? Of course not. And the servant wouldn't expect that anyway. Jesus says, you also, when you have done all that you ought to do, you know, that I've instructed you, then we'll say, I'm just a worthless servant doing what I ought to have done, carrying out my duty to my master. You see, there's no boasting about what I've managed to do for Jesus, about being this loving brother or sister or or a great rebuker or a humble forgiver because we've just been told that the power and ability to carry out Christ's orders comes from God, not 
oneself. And the motivation is not to get extra credit from God, a few more stars in my crown, because I've already been well taken care of by God's grace freely given to me in Christ. I mean, we must keep in mind that Jesus, as as he's teaching the disciples, is on the road to Jerusalem, where he will suffer and die to pay for my sins and then be raised again. That as a an obedient servant, he will empty himself out for my sake in perfect obedience and love for the Father. The motivation for the servant of God is love and gratitude. As Paul writes in the greeting of his letter to the Romans, Paul, a slave of Jesus Christ, that's how Paul saw his ministry. That's how he saw the rest of his life after Christ Jesus took over. It was a big thank you, a response of gratitude to the one who bought him and ransomed him with his precious suffering and death, with his blood. I couldn't help but be reminded of Martin Luther's explanation to the second article of the Apostles' Creed when I read this portion of Luke's passage. He writes, I believe that Jesus Christ, true God, begotten of the Father in eternity, and true man, born of the Virgin Mary, is my Lord. He has redeemed me, a lost and condemned person. He has purchased and freed me from all my sins and from death and the power of the devil, not with silver or gold, but with his holy, precious blood and with his innocent suffering and death. And listen, listen to this. He has done all this in order that I may belong to him, live under him in his kingdom, and serve him in everlasting righteousness, innocence, and blessedness, just as he is risen from the dead and lives and rules eternally. This is most certainly true. And that reminds me of another story. There's an old story, probably apocryphal, according to one Lincoln historian, that Abraham Lincoln went down to the slave block to buy a slave girl. As she looked at the white man bidding on her, she glared at him, figuring he was just another white man going to buy her an abuser. Lincoln won the bid, and as he was walking away with his property, he said, Young lady, you are free, free to go. She said, What does that mean? It means you're free. Does that mean, she said, that I can say whatever I want to say? Lincoln said, Yes, my dear, you can say whatever you want to say. Does that mean, she said, that I can be whatever I want to be? Lincoln said, yes, you can be whatever you want to be. Does that mean I can go wherever I want to go? He said, yes, you can go wherever you want to go. And then the girl with tears streaming down her face said, then I will go with you. Fellow redeemed disciples of Jesus Christ, For the sake of his kingdom, for the sake of the church of Jesus Christ, take these words of Jesus to heart. Do them. Look out for one another's spiritual welfare. Don't hesitate to have the courage to rebuke and correct when needed and to do it lovingly. And then forgive as you have been forgiven by Jesus. That's what holds the church 
of Jesus Christ together. That's what makes us a shining light to the world, a living display of what God intended for his world in the first place. People loving each other, taking care of each other. Remember, you can do this no matter how small you feel your faith is. Remember, it's the object of your faith that makes doing this possible. And the object of your faith is your Heavenly Father who loves you who gave his one and only son to die for you upon a cross and raised him up again. He's counting on you today to obey, now and forever. Amen. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, we have heard your word today. Help us to carry out your orders as grateful, obedient servants of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now as you go on your way, may Christ go with you. May he go before you to show you the way, behind you to encourage you, beside you to befriend you, above you to watch over, and within you to give you his peace. Amen. You've been worshiping with the ministry of the Christian Crusaders. We pray today's message has helped you in your faith walk to be a shining example of people loving each other and taking care of each other in the name of Christ. Christian Crusaders appreciates the generous support we receive from our listeners. One way your support can help the lives of others continue to be enriched through the hearing of God's Word is to remember this ministry in your estate planning. For more information on estate giving, call us at 1-888-MY-FAITH or 1-888-693-2484 or visit us online at www.christiancrusaders.org. Be sure to check us out on our website where you can find printed and audio versions of today's program as well as past programs. Our website address is christiancrusaders.org. Also, be sure to visit us on Facebook for a daily renewal of faith. If you enjoyed today's program and would like it to continue, we ask you to consider making a gift to this ministry. Christian Crusaders is of vital importance to many persons who are unable to attend worship services in the church of their choice. All donations are considered tax deductible. We are happy you chose to worship with us this day, and we pray you will join us again next Sunday. Conducting the service was our speaker, Reverend Steve Kramer. Christian Crusaders, on air and online, is now in its 84th year of broadcasting biblical truth.